0: what we have been talking about we've done the first three of the four noble truths we're talking about the fourth truth which is the eightfold path Uh, we've been talking about the first uh, of of the eight which is uh, right understanding which is uh, that's all kind of the intellectual philosophy of the whole thing and we have so far discussed the uh, five aggregates and the three characteristics of which there are four (laughs) Um, and the five aggregates fits into that as as being one of the tools for understanding uh, and for uh, uh, doing practice to help realize the the, uh, characteristic of no self so we got into that over a period of uh, quite a few sessions where we looked at the nature of the mind and nature of consciousness in detail. And then I know last week we were talking about um, the other three of the three characteristics, impermanence, emptiness, and suffering. I, we, we've got to get a structured curriculum going again. Mm. I can't remember where I left you last week. <laughs> so I don't know exactly where I should pick up tonight. So if anybody remembers and would like to, to remind <laughs> me, <laughs> I know I told you we'll talk about something this week. but I don't remember what it was, and I didn't have a chance to listen to the recording. Of course, the good thing is if nobody remembers, nobody will know. That. Well, they'll know if I told you.
1: I could be wrong,
0: mm-hmm. but I'm thinking
1: that it might have been something with dukkha. because I felt like you were t- talking quite a bit about impermanence and emptiness, yeah. right, and kind of like implications for no self. But I don't feel like we really got much into the you know dissatisfaction <coughs> and suffering that results. Okay, okay, from yeah. those understandings, and I don't know if that's what it was that you said you're going to talk about, or if that's just what you could talk
2: about. We had a little
3: bit. Mm-hmm. You, you ended mm-hmm. with that, with uh, mentioning of satisfaction
0: and suffering, but I think that was mm-hmm. that was the end. Okay, no, not a lot okay of that. So, so I, I think that makes sense. That that's what will be the focus of our discussion tonight. And so maybe as a lead-in, I'll just do a. a Recap of uh, impermanence, emptiness, and no self.
4: I, I can remind maybe a little better if you don't mind. Sure. We was talking about uh, emptiness, and we was talking emptiness doesn't mean you empty mm-hmm. yourself or something. You you empty of you empty yourself from attachment or. I remember that we was talking, you empty yourself from something inside, but it doesn't mean you empty, like you empty inside completely. Also attachment, mm-hmm. we were talking about attachments which make us suffer yeah. and of course in, impermanence. And okay, well I think um, what would be
0: helpful is to do a bit of recap on impermanence, emptiness and no-self as just as a lead-in to talking about those characteristics suffering, because, uh, so, usually referred to as the three characteristics, impermanence, no self, and suffering, and where emptiness comes in, is that emptiness is really a, a later concept that incorporated the meaning of impermanence and no self, uh, uh, and ties them together in a uh, much more strongly. Um, the important thing about impermanence, emptiness and no self is there are descriptions of the way things are as opposed to the way that we think they are. And so as characteristics, they are characteristics of how we perceive reality and how we perceive ourselves. Uh, and the the fact that it, it that these perceptions are delusions they that they are rooted in a uh, ignorance of the truth in ignorance of the true nature of things and so uh, suffering on the other hand dukkha unsatisfactoriness is different than these because it is it is a characteristic of our human existence that is derived from our mistaken way of understanding these things. So it is our delusion that is actually causing our suffering and unsatisfactoriness. And it's because of ignorance is because of delusion that the nature of life is, to, is, is that it involves uh, all of this suffering. So in that sense, suffering is sort of a derivative of the first two characteristics of impermanence and no-self. And emptiness is kind of an elaboration of impermanence and elaborate, elaboration and and recapitulation of impermanence and no self. So before we get to the dukkha, let's just remind ourselves what it is where we're in our ignorance lies. We think we are a separate entity called a self. And both impermanence and no self are talking about this perception of uh, entityness which is also say to say perception of separation so we perceive our self as something that is separate from everything that's not self but that, that's basic duality of, of existence is there's there's me and then there's everything that's not me and then we extend that we look at everything that's not me and our mind divides it up into all these separate entities and just as we regard me as separate and self-existent we regard all these things that we see as separate and self-existent and just as we believe that I have a particular nature who I am uh, that allows me to talk about things like, or ask questions like, what happens to me when my body dies? What happens, what happens to me in the future? Where did I come from? And things like that. So, we, we, we see ourselves as having a particular nature, and we see ourselves as being self-existent. And then we project that onto everything else, and we see other individual people as self-existent, and we see them as having a particular self-nature by which we distinguish one from the other. And then we go further and we see the world's made of all these different objects and you're made of different parts, your arms, your legs, your head, and so forth, your your good personality characteristics and the one I don't like. And uh, then we go further and matter is made out of molecules and atoms. and Electrons and protons and uh, other subatomic particles, and so. so we have this way of perceiving things. A thing. We have this way of perceiving things. We perceive reality as things, things which have their own unique nature. And the truth of impermanence, the radical truth of impermanence, is there are no things. Thingness is an impossibility, but thingness is something that's projected on reality by our minds. Our minds divide the indivisible into parts, and these divisions are not, these divisions don't belong to ultimate reality, they're just imaginary divisions created by our minds on something that is unitary in its essence impermanence doesn't mean that things rise and pass away it means there are no things there can be no things there is only process and no self means that that process is indivisible it has this unity no self means that just as the universe of apparent things doesn't have self-existence as things and all these things don't have self natures, the same is true of me i'm not separate there is no self i am not the thing that i think i am and i don't have some unique self nature makes me, me, and sets me apart from everything else that's not me. So that's, that's the ignorance that we're talking about, the ignorance that we come from. Now the idea of emptiness ties this together, because emptiness is defined in terms of two things. Self-existent, it says, things are not self-existent. They're, things cannot be self-existent. Self existence means that something is independent; it's separate. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's not true. Everything is absolutely, totally interconnected, and the separation is an illusion projected on it by our mind. The other thing, of, of, so emptiness—what things are empty of, what all of your experience is empty of—is self existence. And the opposite of self-existence is interdependent existence. Interdependent, interpenetrating, non-separate. It is pure process, totally interconnected process. Causality is the ultimate description of process. So that's one aspect of emptiness. The other aspect of emptiness is that the self nature <coughs> is not real. That when the mind divides the universe up and we look at an object, and we'll see it has particular qualities. It's this color, this shape, has this hardness or softness, uh, so on and so forth. That there isn't an entity with those properties, but rather, mind is dividing an indivisible whole so that it can have the experience of seeing a separate object with those colors, shapes, and so on and so forth. It's yanking it out of uh, something that doesn't inherently have a self-nature. So emptiness is no self-nature and not self-existent, because both the appearance of separateness and both the appearance of a unique nature are just a game the mind plays takes reality in terms of emptiness meaning that we're not empty well, emptiness is not denying our apparent personhood because when the mind divides the world up into me and the rest of you that appearance is real at its own level it's just not ultimately real it's real because as long as I feel like I'm separate from you, then we're going to have problems because I'm going to be struggling with you to get what I want keep from not getting what I don't want. And as a result of that, I experience suffering. So the sense in which you as a person are real is that the mind seeing you the way it does causes suffering. So in other words, suffering suffering is purely the result of the mind seeing things in a way that's not true. Does that make sense? Is that no. clear? Yeah. <laughs> but, it does make sense, but it's very hard
1: to understand. So it's well, kind of not really.
0: Yeah, it, I, what's hard to understand is we have all of these other ideas that it's in conflict with, right. and you know that that we we are so used to seeing things in that way that it's just to... they go head on and they just mm-hmm. they don't they don't fit, mm-hmm. and it's actually really easy to understand. Once you can let go of the mistaken notions that are, are making it difficult. But yes, there's some work in that and that doesn't happen, doesn't happen quickly.
2: Well, I, I wonder again about the practical side. I mean, we still have to function in this so-called reality and even when we know or learn this is all illusion and, and ignorance, we still have a perception we need to find the exactly. common ground. So on some level we perpetuate this illusion by function in this society, right? But we still need function. So I wonder what Buddhism says to that, you know?
0: Well, okay, that's a very important question. What what Buddhism says is that the reason this delusion exists is for the sake of the function. This delusion allows us to function,
2: okay? So we play that.
0: Yes, the delusion exists because it allows us to function. If we put it in just simple everyday terms, people survive and succeed in life because they believe they are separate and because they are compelled to pursue the things that they desire and they are compelled to avoid the things that cause them suffering or harm. So, this delusion exists because this delusion is what creates this whole world. In familiar terms, it's very simple. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, what is the point of life? All of this struggle, all of this suffering, for what? So that we can have some kids and raise them up, so that they can suffer and struggle? For what? Because they're going to get sick and die too. So they can make me some grandchildren that will also get to suffer and die. And that's right. This, the purpose of life is to perpetuate life. <clears throat> and to succeed in the perpetuation of life, we have been endowed with this delusion. So why does this delusion exist? To perpetuate life. To perpetuate the endless cycle of birth struggle, suffering, and death beings will continue to be born to struggle, to suffer and die because we have this simply because we have this built-in tendency you know nobody tricked you after you were born into seeing everything the way you do unfortunately even before you left the womb, you were already programmed to experience this delusion. So the purpose of the delusion is the perpetuation of the cycle of birth and death of life. The delusion, its it's purpose isn't to cause suffering, but that's the side effect of it. We suffer because we are born with this delusion and then of course as soon as we're born it gets reinforced by everything else that we experience and all the people around us we get you know we're, we're we're trained we we all share a consensus reality might get some different results if we were all raised in little boxes by ourselves and we have no contact with anything or anyone else but as it is we can't help but we buy into the whole very elaborate, very detailed uh, version of the delusion that that our society presents us with. If we look at different societies, we see they have different flavors of delusion. At the root, it's still the same delusion, but it comes in a whole variety of different flavors and models and so forth. But the result is that we suffer. And the good news is... That as human beings, we have the possibility to overcome this ignorance and to be free of the suffering. Now, as human beings with human minds, for us to survive in the world, we need to function. So, it's, the wonderful truth is, see, the Buddha became enlightened and he survived for 45 years and did quite well and did a lot of good things. His functioning was not in the least impaired by attaining wisdom and overcoming ignorance. And that's the wonderful thing about it, is that human beings have the capacity to overcome the ignorance and become free from suffering, yet still function. And, you you know, the the Buddha could say, you know, the purpose of an ego, as you've heard me say, is to help us keep our laundry separate which is a a silly little cliché, but really the whole notion that we have of being a separate self is so that we do the things that we need to do so that this particular heap, this particular body, and this particular mind can persist and survive to function. And we don't lose that. We don't lose the ability to do that. The Buddha was quite capable of surviving and quite capable of uh, seeing that the needs of his body and his mind were met in the world, while at the same time not being fooled by the way the mind needs to see things.
2: So there is a separation, right? Like you, yeah. you, you detach yourself from what the illusion of this reality is. You play it like, like I mean, I. But what just comes to my mind is Shakespeare who says, you know, life is a, is, is a, is a play. Yeah. And if you really play it, you can fully play it, but you are not attached to it. Exactly.
0: It? And uh, yes, uh, life is a stage and we're all just uh, actors on the stage. Yeah. And that's the thing, that you can produce a really fabulous performance uh, Especially if you're not, if you don't get caught up in the idea that you're, you know, one thing about what we really like about plays is when an individual there's some kind of transformation in an individual, right? And that's what we're capable of. If uh, if the character believed in who he was in Act One, he could never achieve any kind of transformation in Act Three, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but fortunately, the character doesn't believe he's the person he portrays in act one and if he follows the script he becomes transformed. And so we're we're kind of like that. We have that we have that latitude. We can transform ourselves. Yeah
4: thank you. I have a question whose interest was what whose interest was to to help us human being creatures with to create us this way, to twist our minds so we we kind of on a purpose. It's almost like somebody us so we will be having an illusion and we'll think it's real and we'll be suffering. So if somebody like watching us from above, like you see T V series and the more this, the more we suffer, the more interesting story because if everything fine it's boring. You <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not funny.
0: <laughs> but, so but you you me, express it so well. <laughs> so, to me, we go back to God. <coughs> well, us, see, that's exactly why. And
4: what, why He did this, what's the purpose, if it is true?
0: The whole reason that we think that they're, 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 they're we come up with the idea of God is we're trying to explain this. Uh-huh. And the way we're, we, we the way that we see things, we take we take the indivisible reality and we divide it up into pieces. And so the mind automatically wants to lop off a chunk of reality. And say, okay, this is this is God. This is the who that decided to we had to go through all this. <laughs> and part of emptiness is to say that that. Um, that's not possible. A god would have to be separate and self existent and have a self nature. And if such a thing existed, it, it you know, really you could argue logically, it couldn't really interact with the rest of the world anyway. The deeper truth is that there is one thing that has these special qualities of self-existence and self-nature. And that is the totality itself, ultimate reality. Uh, So, when you understand that, you end up saying things like, well, God is everything, everything is God, God is in everything. I come from God and what I'm trying to do is go back to God and you are God and every one of us is God and we're trying to go back to God but we're not ever separate from God because there is no the reality that we're talking about and putting the label God on that created us that quote <laughs> decided that we should be like we are that reality is indivisible and it's only your mind that makes it into something separate, okay? So, you're already, it's already what you are and your separateness from that is the illusion you're trying to overcome. You're trying to overcome the, the delusion that you, you know, even if you could come to the idea that there were only two things, you and God, even if your duality gets that simple, and you still have to overcome the, the duality that you created by separating yourself from God. This is what, if you look at Christian theology, mm-hmm. this is what Christian th- theology is all about. It is overcoming the duality mm-hmm. yeah. between yourself and
4: God. what I try to say that, <coughs> next thing is that the Christian who really delivers yeah. the uh, emotionally through devotion, prayers reading Bible study and so on, they got, to, they got to the point, some of them, that they feel they are one or so close to God, God yes. listens them, they mm-hmm. uh, feel it, they uh, uh, see it, and so on. Uh, so you say there's other way we can come to the conclusion that we are not separate through religion.
0: That's right. All all human spiritual aspiration is ultimately the same. We've we'll described it in different terms. Mm-hmm. but there's only one top of the mountain, and no matter which side of the mountain you go up, when you're on the top, it's the same top. We're it's all the going the same way. Mm-hmm. And so different spiritual paths don't differ from each other in terms of where they're going. They only differ from each other in... How they get there Mm -hmm. and just as going up the mountain from different sides some sides are much easier to climb than others Mm -hmm. sometimes are much more difficult you know the odds of succeeding climbing one face can be much much lower you know and out of all the millions that start on that path only a very few will reach it whereas climbing another face of the mountain the statistics can be quite different Mm -hmm. The path that the Buddha laid out was one that in his lifetime, it seems that uh, a majority of those who followed that path made it to the top of the mountain. That's mm-hmm. what's very remarkable about it. And in 2,500 years since, we've lost a lot of... Uh, we. Uh, you know, the little stone cairns that mark the path have been knocked down and people have put up new stone cairns in the wrong place, so we have to do a little extra work. We're still on the right side of the mountain as uh, if we're following Buddhist, modern Buddhist practice, but we find it's not as successful and it's a lot harder and it takes longer because people have moved all the trail markers and we're not really going up the easiest path. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get to the same place.
4: Thank you very much. So- To me, it's
0: very clear now, at least. And that's our job, those of us in this room, is to find the right path. You see, to use the mountain analogy, we could get to the top and not worry about how we got here. And if somebody else wants to climb, you just tell them, well, you do it the same way I did, following my foot, my footsteps. But what we really need to do, those of us, as we go up the mountain, is we've got to take the time to figure out why it is that some of these detours are slowing us down so much, and clear up those, so that we create a much, we we return to the original path that worked so well that that the majority of people that set foot on the first step, made it all the way to the end. That's what we have to get. That's our job, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got to make the journey, but you've got to do more than make the journey. You've got to fi- find out how to make the journey easier for those following.
4: Just one more question. I'm sorry, Chris. Just one more. No, carry on. to, 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 continue yes. to, to continue the, you in my mind, okay. just a... Like, um, then what we're going to assume Assume I will choose uh, Christianity, how to get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Assume it's easier for me, more familiar. I grew up with it or something. Uh, but but religion uh, promise you eternal life if yes. you get to the mountain. Is Buddha, Buddha is not, I mean, Buddhism teaching not promise you eternal life. It just say we are one, so our molecules go in yeah. something else, that continue life in other things in nature and so on so. Is that so, how are you look
0: at it? Well, Buddhism is saying something very important. It's saying you want eternal life. Eternal life for who? For what? The 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 being that you imagine you want this eternal life for doesn't exist. Has never existed. Could never exist. So it's 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 a flawed notion from the beginning you see Christianity wants to take people to the place of transcending you know it is in its truest essence it's transpersonal it's about going beyond the person mm-hmm. but as a religion a religion is a social institution
1: yeah.
0: religions serve the government and the kings and and social stability, and everything else. Religion really is the opiate of the people. Religion says, okay, what can I do to make you behave? All right, you want eternal life? Okay. And so religion is a system of making people behave, of controlling people, institutionally, for all kinds of purposes. For the benefit of the king, for the benefit of the country, and ultimately for the benefit of the church. So that's the problem with religion. Very deep within the religion is the core purpose, the only reason that the religion came into being in the first place. It was as the path to realization and liberation. But that's not where religion is presenting and selling to, to the world at large. Any religion, including Buddhist religions. That's one of the problems with Buddhist religion is, you know, the Buddha would never be a Buddhist. Buddha would never belong to any Buddhist religion. A Buddha taught a, a, a truth, and uh, what they've done is they've taken the Buddha's teaching, just as they take all other spiritual leaders' teaching, and they turn them into a religion. And the religion serves all kinds of worldly, secular pur- purposes, mm-hmm. and people continue to suffer.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: But it's not. Would not
5: Buddha? belong to a sangha. To a sangha? Therefore, it's a community thing still.
0: Oh, yeah. The the sangha part of it is really important. And that the reason I said it was so important that we have to mark a much better path up the mountain is because, ladies and gentlemen, the floodwaters are rising quickly. Mm-hmm. And it may be hard to understand how we're going to all fit on the top of the mountain, but... If, we, if, if enough of us don't make it to the top of the mountain, we're all going to drown. So, you know, uh, the way out of hell is holding hands. You can't get there by yourself.
5: But the easiest way to trace a path that's been lost, we work our mazes by starting at the center and coming back to the entrance. We, that's, the, that's the easy way. So we can really only tell our friends after we've gotten there and say, oh, don't take that fake left.
1: You can definitely tell them uh, right after you take it and take left, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you you're absolutely right. Until, and, and you know, you, you, as far up the mountain as you go, you can help refine the path that gets there. But you're right. It's not until you reach the peak that you're really in a position to uh, to go back every step of the way and and say, go right instead of go left. You know, and yeah, it's true. Uh, you, you can plot a path that takes you halfway up the mountain, but then it reaches an insurmountable barrier and that's dead end there. You have to go back down the mountain a ways and then take a different path to get around that barrier. And, you know, we, we can all work on this together, but the world right now is totally trapped in illusion. The belief, I I, I mean, look at how we prize our individuality. Separateness is so important. Everything everything in our social institutions is all about separateness. Even when we come together as groups, collectively, most of the time, that is based, that togetherness that we feel, it comes from us against them. It's all about how we are different than everybody else. It's, it's really the disease of human natures is to, you know, we go beyond, there's me, and then there's the world, and, and I'm at war with the world, but when I team up with you, I just expanded that a little bit. Now it's you and me against the world, but I haven't really changed the dynamic at all. And when you get in and it's you and me and the other one and three of us or four of us, It's called antithetical bonding. And you find it permeates our society, our social institutions at every level. We bond with each other in terms of what we're against. It's antithetical bonding, and that's a big problem. So what we're doing is we're shifting the boundaries, but we still have the same problem. As long as there's a boundary that defines self or us, from everything else, that boundary is a battle line. that's kind of boundary where the struggle taking place. The belief in that boundary comes along with the belief that if I or we can have that, then I or we are going to be are going to be happy. And if I or we can avoid that, then I or we are not going to suffer. So it, it's a it's a battle line in that sense but it's also a battle line in the other sense that there's also somebody else trying to get what i or we want or there's somebody else who for their benefit wants to stick us with something that we don't want so we in turn well we're trying to take away what what he she or they want from them or we're trying to stick he she or they and so we're, we're not only creating our own suffering as a result of this ignorance. We're creating all kinds of suffering for everybody else. And so we're all doing this. We're all one. But we've decided, divided up ourselves into all these pieces. And the imaginary boundary that separates each piece from the rest is this battle line. And we're, we are suffering because of it. And we are inflicting suffering on everyone else. That's the world we live in. <laughs> Even a capitalist society is based on greed it's based on it, it's a total affirmation that selfhood craving, desire, aversion doing what you need to somebody else in order to get what you need and to avoid what you're afraid of it's the total affirmation of that and it's not working can you please clarify
5: distinction between community and, at its heart, this antithetical bonding, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, It seems to me like, on one hand, we want sangha, we want group, we want this that is a collective, and that is going to create a boundary even if we're not right at the moment saying we aren't us so we can be against a them it's it sounds very much like you're saying you can't get out of the game as long as anything that passes for community exists
0: no i'm i'm not saying that because you can't because uh Hmm. okay anybody needs to go And we'll try not to say anything too interesting. <laughs> those that have to leave um, The thing is that we we are exercising our communality in a wrong way, but it's not the only way. doesn't have to be through antithetical bonding. and what are we talking about? Loving kindness. Loving kindness requires no boundary making. Compassion requires no boundary making. Sympathetic joy requires no boundary making.
5: So you can have community without boundary?
0: We can have community without boundary, absolutely. And that's what an Aryan Sangha is. An ordinary Sangha is a Sangha with boundaries. You know, I belong to this sect of Tibetan Buddhism and everybody else is somebody else. I belong to this branch of Theravadan and everybody else is somebody else. That's, that's still antithetical bonding. That's not an Aryan Sangha. An Aryan Sangha has transcended the illusion of self. An Aryan Sangha has realized no self. It may be the individuals, the individuals making up the Sangha may not have perfectly realized this themselves, but they've come close enough that the Sangha as a whole can realize it. And an Aryan Sangha doesn't need boundaries. Aryan means noble, it refers to having achieved awakening enlightenment, having overcome ignorance. So a Sangha that is not based on the principles of ignorance, it's based on wisdom, doesn't need boundaries. And it can function very effectively in the world. There is nothing a bounded community can accomplish that an unbounded community can accomplish actually better. But look at what's required to make that happen, is we need, we need to be a community that understands this and that puts this understanding into action, right? And if we are a part of a community that can do that, then... We have we have created our own teacher to the extent that we haven't fully realized that ourselves. The Sangha that we belong to is is our guide and it can help to bring us up
3: okay. the, the putting into practice of this Arya Sangha is is um, it's a quandary to me yeah. and I'm thinking. I'm thinking of particular social issues, and I'm thinking the one that comes up right now is gun control. Is which? gun control?
0: Gun control, mm-hmm. sure. The gun
3: issue right now. Mm-hmm. So, how can we, how can we address this issue of, of, of gun ownership and and the, mm-hmm. and the violence and system there in this country without antithetical bonding? Mm-hmm.
2: Well,
0: see, that's that's an extremely good idea, a, a, a good example, a good thing to look at because. it's the advocates of everybody having guns. Where do they come from? What are the arguments that, their arguments are always based on fear. Mm -hmm. I need a gun for Mm self-defense. You know, um, you ask the question, why does any person in a civilized country need an assault rifle or a pistol? You know, um, what are assault rifles made for? What are they designed? What What did all of that time and energy and brilliance and genius and money and everything else go? What's their purpose? What's the purpose of an assault weapon?
6: Kill. Lots more.
0: It's to kill people. It's to kill people efficiently in large numbers. What's the purpose of a handgun? To kill people. It was invented originally and has been perfected and refined to kill people more effectively. Now, from a more enlightened perspective, assault weapons and pistols are toys. They're things we play with. We can go out and shoot tin cans, paper targets, all kinds of stuff. But they still retain the capacity to kill people. So the problem is the attitude. I wouldn't mind all these people wanting to have their pistols and their assault weapons if they thought of them. You know, it would sway me enormously if they said, "Well, these are our toys; we have fun with them. Don't take, please, don't take them away from us." we will be unhappy and have to find something else to do on Saturday afternoons. What they try to say? I'd be far more sympathetic, but when they say to me, "We need it to defend our homes and our children against what?" Well, against people just like us with guns. But. Okay, our, our usual reaction is, okay, it's got to be us and them. We've got to bond together as a gun control advocates and we've got to fight them and we've got to beat them and we've got to win. It takes a totally different shift in thinking to say, okay, let's set all that aside. Let's stop seeing them as the enemy and let's see how we can work with them. But it's a good example and it's a great challenge. If, if we want to understand these principles, it's a good place to start. Spend your time thinking about how could we, as individuals or collectively or whatever, how could we approach a problem like this from a different perspective? How could we approach a problem like this through loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and find a resolution? Now, unfortunate reality is that the pro-gun and the anti-gun people are both as totally locked into the old way of thinking. And, you know, neither one's, re- neither side is really more open to a new way of thinking than the other. And right now, however this gets resolved, it's going to get resolved most likely in the old-fashioned way hmm. of Struggle and force and fight and manipulation and a lot of money will be used and and things Mm -hmm. like that, but it will be a fight, and whoever loses the fight is going to go lick their wounds and come back ready to start the fight again in a few years. It's not going to end, but it's an opportunity for us to think about. You know, uh, there's there's too few of us right now to solve the problem, but if someday there could be enough of us and if those of us now start thinking about how things like this could be resolved in a different way this is the way to get everybody up the mountain and unless we get everybody up the mountain none of us are going to survive do you have an idea what because i am stuck i
3: don't i don't i don't
0: uh, well, what is that other that's way that's why there's nothing wrong with being stuck around. there's nothing wrong with being stuck as long as you don't give up and quit thinking about it and as long as you don't Assume that because you can't see a solution, that there is none. If you, if on the basis of all of your other experience, and what you've learned and your practice and everything else, if you in your heart believe that there must be a solution that lies in the direction of loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy, rather than struggle and force, aggression, if you believe that in your heart on the basis of other things that you've seen, then allow that to keep, keep it cooking in your mind. And, you know, even if you realize what the solution would or could be, chances are you're not gonna solve the present conflict yourself. You're not gonna make it. But the point is that if you can see a resolution in a social issue like this, that's gonna transfer over to how you resolve all those other conflicts in your life that you also tend to approach from the same confrontational me versus them or us versus them approach. It's a way, It's a, put it this way, contemplating how this could be resolved is a practice that can help you understand at a deeper level and validate for yourself whether there's any possibility in this or is this, this is all just a pipe dream. If it is just a pipe dream, then it means that between nuclear war and overpopulation and global warming and uh, the growing exploitation of people for the sake of, uh, large numbers of people for the sake of few, all kinds of new diseases appearing and things like that, if it is a pipe dream, we're all washed up. Not well, that's necessarily so bad, I don't mind. I'm going to die anyway, so. <laughs> but, uh, geez, lo- as long as I'm here, if there's anything I can do uh, that points us in the right direction, so much the better. Yeah.
2: But Beatrice was asking about a pr- practical advice um, or a way of dealing with what's right now. So for me, it's almost like, a double standard like we 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 think in it di- we start to think in a different way but we still have to act right now and the boundaries are clear with this right now the boundaries are set but we are still working yeah. intentionally maybe on a solution in the future so it's almost a double double standard I don't see
0: why you think so I mean certainly I I, I gather Beatrice is against uh, all these weapons. If she finds herself in a situation where there's something she could do, like cast a vote one way or the other, or or do anything else, sign a petition, whatever, then obviously she should do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And but at the same time, I mean, at, at at the very same time, there's this thinking: Is there a way that love rather than anger could resolve this problem yes yeah, so, so uh, it's not a double standard it's um you know when the house is on fire you've got to do whatever you can do yeah. in, in the moment but that doesn't mean that there isn't a better possibility
2: yeah the word <clears throat> is wrong double said. you answered that you still act but you have yeah. you, your intentions start to change in how to approach it as a problem, right?
0: That's right. And you try to restrain yourself from doing the thing of, of screaming in the face of some yeah. gun, gun lover. Yeah. And um, get a gun
2: too. In,
0: air in air. other words, when you're, listening, <laughs> when you're listening to one of these people uh, on the television or in person or something like that, if you can reach inside yourself and try to find okay, how can I see myself in them? And how can I see them in myself? You know, how can I see because what your mind wants to do is first of all it makes the separation really clear. There's me and there's them. And then it begins to demonize them. It removes their humanity. It it turns them into monsters. And haven't you already had that happen? You know, you listen to what's his name, Lampierre, and you say, Oh Right. It's really hard to look at him and see him as a person just like you. Oh, okay. But the way to make progress is to be able to see all these people as someone just like you. Because as long as as you're letting your delusion rule your mind, uh, you're going to make very limited progress.
5: Okay, so I'm going to toss a live one in here now. I'm, I'm one of these people. I'm one of them, or at least I have been. And... I I lived for many years inside that culture. Mm -hmm. And it made sense at the time, just as now living in this culture makes equal sense to me. So when you talk about identifying with one side or another, that's really easy for me. Mm -hmm. And if I were going to approach trying to style a solution that is has its origin in loving kindness and and some kind of sympathy it would be to go right to the nut of the fear yes because you're never going to get rid of guns there will be some other next thing ray guns or bow and arrows or <laughs> rocks to throw or you know you're not getting rid of them. It's they're very good rock throwing devices. <laughs> and 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 fun. Wow, lots of cool tin cans, ma'am. And pride, excellent pride. I can blow a hole in a quarter from a hundred yards away. Yay. Okay, great. So the thing here on this side of that divide that I sit and I watch is the abject horror of some fruitcake did what? How many Mm six-year-olds? And then the thing you want to look at is the mental health issue and where they are. And and the question it really devolves down to is, what are you going to do about predators? Mm -hmm. If there were no crazy people, and we still lived back in the wilds so you'd be saying, "Hmm, gonna need to carry a weapon. There's wolves out tonight. I got to make it to grandma's house with this basket."
1: <laughs> and, and, and and
5: and there you are. So, it's about people saying there are still predators. They just look like us. It's really hard to spot them until they come out and eat you. <laughs> And and that is the part of the fear. It's it's much easier to, to pick out a lion or a wolf than it is to pick out another human being who says, you look pretty good. And and that's the fear thing. Then you look at the fruitcakes who are shooting up six-year-olds, and they're not being predators. They're fighting back about things that are, you know, really not there.
0: But if we look at the root of this, though, Mm -hmm. do we really want anybody in this world to live with such fear in their heart that they need to have a gun?
5: When it's self-generated, how can you how can you intervene? Okay,
0: well that's right. That's the problem. How can Mm -hmm. you intervene? It's not Mm -hmm. oh I can't see a way to intervene, so let's not bother. Mm -hmm. And remember the problem.
5: Well, it is very
0: misleading right now. The problem isn't that somebody shot up a bunch of kids in. Uh, school. That was just what woke people up. The problem is that 900 people in this country have died of gunshot wounds since that happened. The problem is that the United States has more deaths due to small arms every year Mm -hmm. than any country in the world. The most unsettled countries with the greatest degree of terror. there are more gunshot deaths in this country every year than any country in the world. The second place is Yemen. Yemen is a country in second place with people dying of gunshot wounds. That's the problem. There's something crazy going on.
5: If you take away the guns, people will print more.
0: Yes, but does that mean that you don't try to solve the problem? There's, yes, that's too got much to of solve this.
5: You've got to solve it ahead of the equipment ma- m- manufacturer. So it looks
0: like you might have to mm-hmm. solve it in a bunch of different ways at once. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. it, it's a multi, But first of all, you have to acknowledge that. It's, it's a problem, and we and to me the conflict right now is there are those people that don't know the solution but they realize it's a problem, and then there's those people that refuse to acknowledge it as a problem. Period.
6: There's this sutra where a, the Buddha asks a king if the mountain in the north turned into a mountain turned into a monster and was walking towards you. And the same in the west, the east, and the south. And there was no possibility of escape. What would you do? Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, meritorious action. Like, what else are you going to do if the mountains are coming to step on you? And it says, just so this is happening, you know, old age, sickness, death, these things are all coming. It seems like... The idea is, you know, uh, if I don't arm myself, like, my body's going to be injured, like, I might be injured, I might die if I don't arm myself. But you will be injured, you will die anyways, people might still hurt you anyways. Your only choice is, between now and when that happens, would you like to try to have an open heart, or would you like to be armed and hidden in your bedroom?
1: Yay! So...
5: Distinction from the other side being, though, living with an open heart and stepping blindly into traffic. Going to do that, or going to look, see which road coming.
6: You can put off death for a little while. So I guess if looking for traffic was going to sort of uh, close your heart off and sort of ruin your life in society, like maybe better to get hit by a car every
0: mm-hmm. now and then. Well, one of the problems with Buddhism in the world is there's been too much of this. Well, that's just the way the world is. You can't do anything about it anyway. So forget it. We'll just go off on our cave and meditate mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and get enlightened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And you know, you you if if you do that, you're you're not going to reach a very advanced. You're you're not going to overcome. Mm-hmm. That much of your ignorance, you're not going to reach very a, a very high stage of awakening. It's absolutely impossible for you to hold that mode of thinking. Yet, most Buddhists hold this mode of thinking, which is part of the reason that most Buddhists. I mean, the Buddha himself he was a he was a real social activist. He stirred the pot up all the time. He broke all of the rules. He's a troublemaker. And. Yeah, he was a real shit-disturber. And if you're going to practice seriously, you can't... you can't abandon the rest of the world. Social activism, of some form, is essential. And social activism can take many forms. But Buddhist social activism has got to be a much more sophisticated form than... most of the social activism that's going on. But you can't, you can't practice in isolation. You've got to acknowledge these problems. You, you've got to own them. They're yours. You are them. And
3: so, so what you're saying is that transformation, the, the approach to this kind of thing would be that moment that when in the morning you read the paper and you hear about a statement made by LaPierre, you know, yeah. an NRA individual and you're horrified yeah right and the anger begins to rise then to, to try to, to try to see the fear in that person to try to identify with that human
1: that's
0: right that
3: vulnerable uh, trembling place in that person that yeah. leads them to think this way
0: that's right that's right and that is the path of the lay person in this world you've got to read the newspaper You've got to experience that reaction so you can work with that reaction in yourself.
3: It doesn't keep you yeah. from becoming yeah. engaged to...
0: What, what some people change, would do yeah. is they would read the newspaper and say, oh, reading this makes me angry. Okay, that's it. I'm never going to read the newspaper again. And there's a lot of Buddhists do that. And that's the weakness. Yeah. That's really the weakness of the monastic system. You withdraw from the world yeah. rather than confronting it. And as uh, one really great teacher that I met, Geshe Dorje, who's was Uh, the uh, uh, very high tantric master and the uh, uh, abbot of the tantric monastery and we talked about monastic Buddhism versus lay practice and he agreed totally he said monastic practice that's the easy way Mm -hmm. the lay practice is much harder but it's far more powerful it's far more powerful and if you do it, it's going to take you further. And that involves reading the paper and dealing with your anger, not wadding it up saying, okay, no more newspapers for me. I'm not going to watch television anymore. Yeah.
2: <laughs> It's, a hard, it's a hard. You know, day, <laughs> he saw all the cruelty in the world in Vietnam, right? He wrote this incredible poem about uh, "Call Me by My Name," and he identified with everybody—the one who shoots, the one who dies, yes. the one who falls—and then he is active with that. But he first sees that whole picture. I'm part of it. What you're saying—we are all one. It doesn't mean we have to melt into each other. We can identify, it, but then. Because of that, he can go back and say, and I do my work, and mm-hmm. he is very active in, in the peace movement, as we all know. Right. That is really where it is, I think,
0: mm-hmm. right? It is. And you've got to stay totally unattached to the outcome. You just mm-hmm. do your absolute best. Do your absolute best with no attachment. <clears throat> then you're the perfect Buddhist activist. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Great
0: discussion good thing we recorded it for the people who had to leave early <laughs>
1: <laughs>